Hello, and welcome back to ASMR. It's me, Simone, with a Thursday special for you. Even though Black History Month will continue all year long here, it was still important to me that Black women's stories get amplified this month. So I have an extra story to also celebrate women and girls and Science Day which happens to be today, February 11th. So lie back, close your eyes, get comfortable. We don't need the phone and screens anymore. Get cozy. Make sure your phone's plugged in. <laughs> get headphones if you wish. I have a couple of items here as our background triggers and tingle makers today. One of my favorites is this little fabric block. It's covered with a little bit of plastic to make a really nice soft tapping noise. And a little bit of also have our brushes back again today. So you have makeup brushes. Over your ear. And your other ear. And both ears. Our hair brush is back again today. introduced some of our items this evening. Let's introduce our amazing woman in science. You may have heard of this mathematician before, or perhaps became familiar with her and her work from the 2016 film Hidden Figures, in which she was played by the fantastic Taraji P. Henson. Today's story is about Katherine Johnson, former mathematician for NASA, whose role there was crucial in manned space missions, including the 1969 moon landing. She also happened to be a black woman in the 50s and 60s, during a time where gender and race had their own boundaries and discriminations to overcome. 
Katherine Johnson was born Creola Katherine Coleman in 1918 in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. She was the youngest of four children born to Joshua and Joylette Coleman. Even at a young age, it was clear that Catherine was very intelligent and was enthralled with numbers and counting. In an interview with NASA in 2015, Catherine says, I counted everything. I counted the steps to the road, the steps up to church, the number of dishes and silverware I washed. Anything that could be counted, I did. In her segregated town of White Sulphur Springs, black children weren't offered school past sixth grade. What did her parents do? They moved 120 miles, or 193 kilometers, away so that she could attend high school. Oh, and she did this at the age of 10. <laughs> she started college when she was only 15 at the historically black West Virginia State College that is now called West Virginia State University. By the time she reached her junior year, she had already exhausted all of the math courses offered at the college. Her professor and mentor at the school, William Waldron Schieflin Clater, who also happened to be only the third person of color to earn a doctorate in mathematics from an American university, recognized brilliance in Catherine. He encouraged her to become a research mathematician and created a specialized and advanced geometry class just for her. She graduated from West Virginia State College when she was just 18 years old with degrees in both mathematics and French. Catherine found that jobs demanding young black female mathematicians practically zero in 1937 and went into teaching for the next three years. In 1940, she was chosen by the president of her alma mater, West Virginia State, to be one of three black students chosen for graduate programs at West Virginia University, an all-white school. Two years prior, in a civil rights case in Missouri, the United States Supreme Court ruled that if a graduate program didn't exist in a black college, the state was obligated to admit black graduate students to its white state universities. West Virginia's governor, Homer Holt, chose to follow suit for his own state and desegregated public graduate schools. Now married to chemistry teacher James Francis Goebel, Catherine entered West Virginia State University in the summer of 1940 to study advanced mathematics. After her first year, however, she found that she was pregnant with her first child and left the college to raise her three daughters and focus on family life. Over a decade later, at the age of 34, 
Catherine took a job working for the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, the NACA, which later became NASA. N-A-S-A. At NASA's oldest field research center, Langley, white women had been hired on for the past decade to help the male engineers. Now, with World War II looming, the need for wartime, quote, human computers was greater than ever and positions opened for black women. She was soon hired at the Langley Research Center in June of 1953 as a computer tabulating data for the engineers. She worked with a handful of other black women, including Dorothy Vaughn, who was the first black woman hired. Though some parts of NASA were desegregated, these women still faced racism and sexism. Catherine ignored the gender and racial barriers and used the white women's bathroom and asked to sit in on meetings that were previously reserved only for the men. In a 2011 interview with public TV station WHRO, Catherine recounted, quote, I just happened to be working with guys, and when they had briefings, I asked permission to go. And they said, well, the girls don't usually go. And I said, well, is there a law? And they said, no. So then my boss said, let her go. Once she started going to those meetings, she didn't stop. She was very curious about aeronautics and asked many questions, always trying to understand more. With her brilliant mind, she learned quickly, and within two weeks of starting at Langley, she was recruited into the Flight Research Division. Although she was the only person of color on the team, her geometry skills proved invaluable to the team of mathematicians she worked with, as she was able to calculate aerodynamic forces on airplanes. She ended up staying in this division for the rest of her career. By 1962, NACA had officially become NASA and the United States was aiming to land on the moon by the end of the decade. The space race had begun, and Catherine's geometry skills were needed for space travel. She was able to formulate the trajectories for spacecrafts to launch and land in specific locations, leading to the first manned mission into space. From there, calculations for orbiting the Earth and traveling greater distances became more difficult, having to take the Earth's position and rotation into account. Catherine was able to do all of it, while being just as accurate, if not perhaps more accurate, than the actual computers that were beginning to be used by that point. In a now-famous story involving astronaut John Glenn, 
he requested before his Friendship 7 mission that Johnson personally recheck the machine's calculations by hand. If she says they're good, then I'm ready to go, Glenn said. Katherine Johnson's calculations helped sink the Apollo 11 lunar landing capsule with the command craft orbiting the moon and allowed the lunar landing mission of 1969 to get there and back home again safely. Her skills were paramount on the fateful Apollo 13 mission in which the craft malfunctioned and the astronauts were marooned in space. Her calculations provided backup procedures that helped ensure the crew's safe return. Though she was working 16-hour days during those historic years, she loved every moment of her job and was excited to be a part of it. The work seemed to help after the death of her first husband, James Francis Goebel, in 1956 from brain cancer. She later remarried James A. Johnson, a United States Army captain, in 1959. In her 33 years at NASA, Katherine Johnson published over two dozen papers, making her the first woman to be named author or co-author on an agency report at NASA. She helped get humans into space and land on the moon. Her calculations also had a role in developing the space shuttle program. Catherine retired from NASA in 1986 and went on to enjoy her retirement. She spent a lot of time speaking to school children about her remarkable career and to encourage more students to pursue careers in STEM. She told them, some things will drop out of the public eye and will go away. There will always be science, engineering, and technology, and there will always, always be mathematics. Everything is physics and math. In 2015, Johnson was awarded the highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In 2016, she and her fellow black female NASA mathematicians and their achievements were celebrated in the book Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly and in the movie of the same name. The spotlight on their story made Johnson one of the most celebrated black women in space science and a hero for those calling for action against sexism and racism in STEM careers. That same year, the NASA Langley facility at which Johnson spent her working years renamed one of their buildings Katherine G. Johnson Computational Research Facility in her honor. In 2017, Katherine attended the Academy Awards as an honored guest following the success of Hidden Figures and received a standing ovation. In 2019, she published her own book for young readers titled Reaching for the Moon. 
We lost Katherine Johnson almost a year ago, on February 24th, 2020, at 101 years old. Her legacy lives on in her successful missions, she calculated, in the footprints on the face of the moon, and in the path that she and the other black women at NASA paved for future generations of women of color in space science and STEM careers. I'll close with an excerpt from her book, Reaching for the Moon. Every time engineers would hand me their equations to evaluate, I would do more than what they asked. I'd try to think beyond their equations. To ensure that I'd get the answer right, I needed to understand the thinking behind their choices and decisions. I didn't allow their side eyes and annoyed looks to intimidate or stop me. I also would persist even if I thought I was being ignored. If I encountered something I didn't understand, I'd just ask. I just ignored the social customs that told me to stay in my place. Thank you, Kim.